correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. What's up, Gamer Nation? Welcome back to Me and Steve. And tonight, well, there's just one Steve because the kind folks at the other Steve's internet provider decided that they needed to shut him down for a couple hours. So... Because there's only one of me, and well, I will talk to myself for hours on end. <laughs> and no one really wants to hear the ramblings inside my head. So I got the wonderful JT Domino, who's from Primed by Cortex and does a whole bunch of stuff with the D20 network, to come join me on the show. And we'd actually planned to have him on before Steve had his internet issues, and we were going to talk about fate. So, JT, hello, and welcome to being Steve. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. Uh, I mean, if you if it makes you feel better, you can also call me Steve or fake Steve or something. Just, you know. Well, I, I've been joking that I'm going to start calling you and your co-host both KT. Yeah, well, I mean, we we practically are the same person already. So, you know, that's just step in the right direction there. He said the same thing we had him on a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's he's great. And I'm uh, I'm really jealous that you guys got to uh, talk to him without me. But now we're making up for that tonight. So there you go. Yes, exactly. So I guess first off, yeah, obviously, like I mentioned, you're one of the hosts of the Prime by Cortex podcast. If you wanted to talk about that a little bit, just let the people know in case they missed the episode we did with with Kirby, what your show is all about. Yeah, sure. So um, Prime by Cortex podcast, we're an unofficial podcast, I guess I should say. But uh, we're basically talking all about the uh, Cortex Prime system, which is a generic modular type of system. The rule set has been used in different iterations before for previous games like uh, Marvel Heroic, Firefly, uh, Smallville. So there's just been a lot of different uh, big IPs associated with it before. And now for the first time, it's out in like a fully generic and modular form. So yeah, most of our episodes, we either are interviewing someone who is involved either like officially on the staff with like fandom or someone for developing for Cortex, or we also interview fans and other Cortex creators who are doing their own things with the system, which is also really cool. And uh, soon they'll be able to actually uh, put those up for download and even selling uh, once uh, fandom rolls out their system for that. So that'll be pretty cool. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to a lot more people once that goes up. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I know some people who, who are, pretty excited about cortex and and are waiting well perhaps rather impatiently for the uh the community content posting whatever you want to call it to get up and running and the digital tool yeah yeah those digital tools are they really look neat from what i've seen demoed but yeah i mean it's going to be like a full suite and uh pretty much anything you want to do that involves cortex you'll be able to handle online pretty much you know that they'll have dice rollers You'll be able to make your modular character sheets there. I know you talked to Kirby a, a bit about that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're just having a good time and just letting people get excited about Cortex. You know, they've got some pretty cool games coming out in the uh, near future, like um, Tales of Exadia for um, the Dragon Prince. Right. 
And then uh, they've also got uh, Legends of Grayskull, yeah, for uh, He-Man and associated characters and universes. Yeah. See, that sounds... Cortex seems like a really intriguing system to me. I mean, I... Uh, I would definitely say so. <laughs> yeah, you know, like like I've started reading it, and my problem is is that I've started reading, I think I've got six different RPG core books that I've started reading in the last two months. <laughs> oh, I know how that goes, man. Let me let me tell you. I just, I feel like I've got this huge collection of things that I still haven't read, and I don't know when I'm going to get to them. But, uh, you know, until then, I, I like to joke that sort of like I'm not really a, like an RPG player. I'm more of an RPG collector. So, you know, just, you know, I, I haven't even gotten a chance to play like half of the things on my shelf, but I'm still buying new stuff all the time. So, oh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I still have a collection. It, actually, it's sitting oh, about arm's length from me right now. A, a stack of Palladium Rifts books about a foot tall. Oh, man. Old school. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It's a beautiful world, but wow, has time not been kind to that system. Yeah, I um I've never gotten to play the Palladium version, but I did get to try out the uh, Savage Worlds version, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, I I would think that the Savage Worlds stuff kind of made it flow more smoothly than it did with what I've heard about the Palladium system. So, well, Palladium, I I've said I don't think it played badly. The problem was getting to playing because <laughs> even experienced people in the system. To just get the stats on the sheet, you're looking at the fastest I ever knew anyone to do it was 45 minutes. Oof. And that was, at the time, I mean, I was pretty deep into it, and I was looking at probably an hour 15. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty intense. And uh, I've, I've also heard there was a lot, a lot of power creep as time went on with, like, new supplements and stuff like that, where it just kind of got ridiculous to, like, balance things out. That is an understatement. Riffs is the definition of power creep. Well, there you go. And this coming from someone who is a fan. I will will say that. I'm just not a fan of the way Palladium does things anymore. Yeah, sure, sure. As an adult, I don't have time to dedicate that much time to any one system unless it's the only thing I want to play. Yeah, yeah. I I can usually only handle like one campaign at a time or maybe two, but like I beyond that, I'm just it would be too overwhelming for me with my uh, schedule right now. So (laughs) yeah, yes. But in any case. All that conversation being said, the, the reason we actually brought you on yeah. today was not to talk about Cortex, but to talk about a different game, which at least was my understanding, had it, at least at one point for a short time a podcast about, which is the Fate system. Fate, what's that? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you're you're right. I actually did a podcast. Uh, only We only had recorded a couple episodes, and we had so many technical issues and scheduling stuff that just kind of like fell apart before we really got it started. But, uh, but yeah, I was, uh, doing the podcast. We did one episode with, uh, Ben Erickson and my other co-host was, uh, Robert Hans, who for, uh, people who are in the know with like the fake community, he, uh, he actually did, uh, the book of Hans, which is sort of like a collection of posts that he did back when Google plus was a thing. And it sort of explained the intricacies of the fate system, particularly geared towards like newbies who are still trying to grok it because it's a very different system than a lot of people are used to. Uh, It's definitely not your like traditional like D20 type of uh, game. So um, but yeah, so he was my co-host and it was really cool. I actually basically met him by asking him if he wanted to do a uh, podcast on fate with me. And we did that for a while. Oh, wow. 
that's cool though in a lot of ways i mean yeah though to to what you were saying i know fate is it's different and i guess it gets lumped into a lot of like the generic narrative game category with like powered by the apocalypse and right I mean, I think it kind of does belong there, but it's, I don't know Powered by the Apocalypse real well either, but Fate is different even than that in a lot of ways. And what I have heard of it is some people say it it does, and I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say, I think it requires a little bit of a different approach to playing, much like if you're playing like the um, FFG narrative dice for Genesis or Star Wars, you have to approach it differently in your head. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with you on that. And yeah, um, Fate is definitely sort of like a generic narrative game. It also can be modular. Um, I don't know, like on on like a continuum, I think that Cortex is probably a little bit more modular, but Fate definitely has a lot of pieces that you can tweak and take out or put in too. So um, it is very good for trying to customize things to more like you like it. But I'd say that by default, it handles mostly like more of the cinematic type of narrative stuff. Like, Fate basically assumes that all of your uh, characters are sort of going to be, like, competent badasses from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to play something that's not that, then it requires a little bit of tweaking. I sort of have this philosophy after uh, gaming for a couple of decades now where you can pretty much u- try to use any system to, like, play any setting or whatever. It's just a matter of one... Like, how do you want the game to feel while you're playing it? And two, how much work do you want to have to do in order to make it work for that system? You know, so just I I, I don't like to say that, like, any one system is better than another. But I would say that, like, certain systems lend themselves to playing certain types of games better than others. Yeah, that that I was going to say, I I was listening to what you're saying and going, I know he's going somewhere because I'm one of those people that. Well, I, I rail against the idea that, well, you can play anything with 5e. Well, technically, yes, you can, but that doesn't mean it's good for it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, it all comes back to sort of like what your goal is. Like, if your goal is to hack uh, 5e to do this setting because none of your players want to learn a new system and all they know is 5e, then, you know, that's fine. You know, as, as long as everyone's cool with that, then that's cool. If you want it to feel more like the setting, potentially, you might want to consider a different system that's geared more towards whatever, you know, the setting is about. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I found a lot of times when people try to hack 5e, it just ends up feeling like 5e with a new paint job instead of like it doesn't feel like whatever setting they're trying to uh, play in. Yeah. So let me ask you something. But I digress. Yeah. Oh, well, that that's OK. We, we tangent and go off down rabbit trails constantly on this show. So feel right at home. <laughs> um, but the one thing I, I've heard fate. And most of my experience with Fate has actually been listening to actual plays. And for quite a while, I was listening to a podcast out of Canada called The Terrible Warriors. And they went through a string where they were playing quite a bit of Fate. And I remember they did a Stargate adaptation of it. They did a literally drawn up on the air fantasy version of it. And then they did one that was The Cats of Gravity Falls. (laughs) And so my kind of sense of fate is that perhaps one of its bigger strengths is that it's great for pickup games and pickup settings. Is that accurate in your experience or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would definitely agree with that. I'd say that you could definitely do it pretty easily with pickups. 
they even have sort of like character creation often will get its own uh, session when you're doing a fate campaign just because uh, there's a lot of like collaborative world building that can be involved with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do have sort of like rules or shortcuts for how do you get people just playing in a game. And a lot of times that means that the uh, GM will kind of come up with everything either on the spot or beforehand for the players. But yeah, you can just sort of do something and go with it. I actually uh, ran a sort of fate. I don't know what you call it, like fate roulette sort of uh, or a session one shot um, at Gibber Nation Con, the last Gibber Nation Con. And, uh, you know, just started off right the right off the bat where I was like, okay, so like what sort of game do we want to play? And then it ended up being like, oh, you know, we want to do some sort of like action-y spy type of thing. And then people brought up like monsters. So then we ended up being like this like or the party, I should say, ended up being this like cryptid spy mystery group that, you know, ran their own food truck, <laughs> you know, on the side, but then like tried to like solve mysteries and stuff like that. It was it was really weird, but really wacky and fun. I think everyone really had a blast with that. But, you know, so that's just the sort of crazy things that you can do with fate just right off the bat. Uh, I'd say that that's one of its strengths is that character creation is so open that you can really sort of uh, model whatever type of character you want to play pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Like I told you, I, I started actually, because you can download the the core rules, if you will. It's It's a book but it's basically almost like an SRD or system reference document. And I think it's, it's pay what you want on drive through, but I, I yeah, picked it. Actually, yeah. I had it a while ago, I think. And then I downloaded it again or something. I don't know, but I, w- I was reading through a little bit of the character creation and it's kind of weird because you don't have stats, but you do. Yeah. So um, the big thing about fate are its aspects and uh, aspects are kind of like distinctions in cortex, not to sort of try to draw parallels there or anything, but Basically, aspects tend to be like narrative descriptions. They're usually like word or phrase, usually no more than like a sentence at the most, maybe. And they just sort of represent something uh, important about your character. And they can be used basically to like give you bonuses to your roles and stuff. But they basically sort of shape like what your character is, uh, what's important to them, things like that. And so because the the basic framework of fate is built around this like narrative description. You don't have to necessarily worry as much about like the various stats and powers and other things that uh, a lot of other systems would have you uh, working on. You can just sort of describe what's important about your character. Like they are a superhero or whatever. Right. And then that's all you really need to get going. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing to, to bear in mind is this came out in, what, 2013-ish? Yeah, that was uh, that was um, Fate Core. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking about a, a game that I, I'm going to say was probably kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways, you know, in that regard. Yeah, well, that was, uh, so Fate Core is sort of the most recent, like, full, quote-unquote, version of the game. And it was technically, I think, technically, like, the fourth edition oh, of wow. Fate at that point. Yeah, and so I for, I forget when exactly it started, but so technically it's like on the fourth edition, and then they recently in the last year or two came out with uh, Fate Condensed, which is sort of like what they would call Fate 4.5. So it just took a bunch of stuff uh, that they had learned over like the last you know uh, six seven years, and they basically cut out all of the extra stuff 
and just kept it to like the most important things that you need to play a game of fate as is without like changing a whole lot, I guess. But then there's there's still and uh, you're right that they're all like pay what you want on their website and on drive through RPG for the PDF anyway. Yeah. You're going to have to pay for a hard copy, obviously. But I, I And I really do appreciate that from those guys at Evil Hat because um, a lot of people I know just uh, don't have the money to be able to like buy a new RPG every week or whatever. So being able to have something like this where you know you can just pay you know whatever you can afford or if you just want to check it out for free, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like I know Steve has a, a hard copy of the Dresden Files, which is oh yeah, Fate rule set, but it's its own standalone game, and I'm assuming it's probably tweaked, you know, assorted ways. But this is like you were saying, this is so to speak your your core book. Here's your toolbox. There is no setting involved in 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 this this Fate core that I have, but you can do anything you want to with it. And I think because it's narrative, unless you're really going for like a crunchy simulationist type game. I think it can do it, whether it's your cup of tea, I don't know. Not saying you personally, but you know what I'm saying? Whether it's, it's not going to scratch that ish if you like crunching numbers. But if you just want to sit around and tell a story and use dice to be your variables, I think it's, it's a solid contender in any case. Yeah, I mean, so I, I would agree that, yeah, fate's, fate, well, fate can get crunchy in a way, but it's not like number crunchy, I guess. You okay. Know, the crunch comes in with the different elements that you sort of can add in or th- their different way of doing things than like your typical like attribute skill sort of stuff. And then mm-hmm. that can get more complicated depending on how you want to run it. But yeah, just real quick, because I was like looking through my fate stuff again, just to spark my uh, memory. But so characters and fate and, and what makes for a good fate game, you want characters, according to the book, that are proactive, capable people leading dramatic lives so that's sort of the default assumption for a fate game and so if you want to depart from that then you're probably going to need to change some stuff up but basically it's made with that in mind and a lot of the mechanics try to support that type of play by raw so um that does lend itself well to a lot of like book series tv shows movies that you can think of but you know you can do horror with Fate, and they actually released a supplement specifically for how to uh, basically mod Fate to do horror. But you definitely, you know, it doesn't really lend itself to that without any modification, I guess you could say, because it's it's much more about, like, badass people doing stuff and being dramatic. Yeah, that's a, a thing. And to, well, I'll try to keep the tangent short. Yeah, I no think an, an important aspect of, of horror RPGs in most cases is you actually don't want the characters to be badasses. You want them to be normal and vulnerable because if they're a badass, there's nothing to be scared of. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, a big part of horror too, I think is buy-in the best Mm -hmm. uh, horror games I've ever run were with like people who are sort of like willing to put themselves and their characters into these vulnerable positions and not always trying to be the badass, always able to like fight the monster or whatever. And uh, I've had a blast with those groups when they're able to do that because it just really sort of solidifies the the atmosphere for horror when you do that. Yeah, I actually, and I've said this a couple times in the last couple episodes of the show, I love horror RPGs, but strangely enough, I'm not really into horror movies or books or anything like that. It's kind of mm. a strange thing. 
but you're absolutely right in that horror gaming requires a different sort of buy-in and, and a different sort of approach. And you do have to have players that are willing and want to do it because it just, to me, that's half the fun. You know, like one of the right. first games I ever played any amount was Call of Cthulhu. And half the fun of Call of Cthulhu is looking at the situation from a meta perspective and going, oh, it'd be stupid as heck for my character to do this, but that's what they're going to do because it actually makes sense. Yeah. And uh, if you want to hear more about buy-in, listen to Steve and Steve's last episode. <laughs> so yeah. I just thought I'd do that plug for you while I'm at it. But uh... yeah, That dropped, well, as we record yesterday morning. But uh, yeah, l- l- before we, we go off and have uh, me and Steve parking lot conversation, let's try and go back to <laughs> yeah, Faith. Sorry about that. I, 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 get, I get distracted and off track easily, so oh, might need to just keep me on the rails a little bit, but uh, I'll try my best. Well, you know, like Steve and I joke about it, but people say we ramble on the show and we looked at each other and go, this is the most focused our conversations ever get. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, fate instead of stats uses aspects, basically. Am I correct in my quick understanding of that? So yeah, so uh, for fate core, you have aspects, which are the narrative stuff, and they do actually have skills and skills are rated generally between negative two to like plus eight and it can technically go beyond but basically your, your skills will just basically be bonuses added to your dice roll and i guess i should probably go back a bit and say that uh, in fate you have uh, what are called fate or fudge dice um, which are named after the fudge system which first implemented this as far as i know so instead of like one to six or you know a d20 or whatever you've got these d6 dice that have plus and minus symbols and blink sides on it so when you're uh playing fate you're rolling four of these fate dice and so you'll get a score between negative four and plus four with uh you know the more extreme scores being much less likely to roll than like a zero for example so you'll basically start with a number with negative four to plus four then you'll add whatever bonus you get for whatever skill is involved. And you can also spend fate points to to uh, like activate an aspect that would help you in that situation. And so that can give you additional bonuses, usually a uh, plus two from that. But uh, so that w- and then you're up against a difficulty, which is generally either opposed or determined by the uh, GM ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And so then if you... Uh, if you beat that, then you succeed. They have something called succeed with style, which is sort of like a critical success where you get like the success and you get some like extra uh, mechanical thingies to go along with that success. And um, one of the things that's really cool about fate that I like is that when you tie, you can either just say like, oh, it's sort of a wash or you can allow the player to succeed at a minor cost. So, you know, maybe they succeeded, but the minor cost could be like, oh, like you succeed, but, you know, now you're off balance and now it's going to be easier for them, you know, when they're coming back at you next time or something. Or Mm -hmm. uh, even if you fail in fate, generally, and rules as written, the player does have the option to say that they want to succeed at a major cost. And, you know, the major cost is going to be up to the GM also like, okay, well, if you want to succeed, then as you jump over this pit... You know, you don't end up like falling or hanging by a thread, but, you know, you end up like dropping all of your equipment, you know, down into the pit. And so then, you're, you know, you made it across, but now you have, you know, no weapons, no items or anything. And I, in terms of like narrative RPGs, I think that's a really cool idea just because um, 
I've had a lot of games before where, you know, whatever I think would be cool ends up getting canceled out by whatever the dice rolled. And, and, and that's a whole nother conversation there about uh, like, when should you roll the dice? Right. But um, oh, gosh, the idea yeah. that, that the story can happen exactly as you want it because you have the option to succeed whenever you want. And I guess you could always just choose to fail too, instead of rolling the dice. Like why not? Right. If you think it would be dramatically cool for your character to fail, just say, Oh yeah, I'm just going to fail this, you know? And, uh, but because, because of the narrative aspect, I really like that idea. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, do the, the fate points, you were talking about how as a player you can spend them to invoke your aspect, you know, be it, we'll say you're trying to, to win a tug of war contest and, and you happen to have the aspect strong written down. So you would spend a fate point to get a bonus on the role associated with this tug of war contest. That's right. Yeah. Do those points, does that work in a pool? Like, is that a meta currency within the game? Or do you just have so many to spend through the course of the game? So so it is a, a meta currency type of thing. Um, generally, uh, you start out with uh, three fate points, if I remember correctly, by default. Um, but they give you the option during character creation where you can give your character some extra stunts in exchange for giving up one of your starting fate points. So you can do up to two stunts for two starting fate points so you start with one but you always have to start with at least one uh the gm generally starts out with a number of fate points equal to the number of uh players in the uh in the group so like if you had like three other people or if you had like three characters in this campaign then the gm would start out with three to like match the number that of uh players there are okay yeah, and um, you can, uh, so people uh, spend the fate points uh, for players, so you can invoke an aspect like we talked about. You can declare a story detail, which is, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like in Genesis or uh, FFG Star Wars, where it's kind of like, oh, you know, did you remember to bring your gas mask or whatever for this poisonous air planet or whatever? And, oh, yeah, totally, I did. And you spend the fate point, even though you never mentioned having the gas mask before, you know, now you do. No, I should say I love mechanics like that because it just, I think, if nothing else, it helps prevent that planning paralysis that happens so many times at the table. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, I should mention that uh, Fate did this first before uh, FFG Star Wars and those other games. So I think that, uh, and I may be mistaken, but I think that they were one of the first big games to really use this idea of a meta currency that can like add story details and stuff. I love those those type of things. I think they're great. The interesting twist with Fate, though, is technically like rules as written. You're supposed to tie the story detail that you're making up into one of your aspects that you have. And I know a lot of people that either ignore that or just kind of like, you know, hand wave it or whatever. But, you know, so like technically, if you were going to like add the gas mask, you know, maybe you have an aspect that's like always prepared or maybe because, you know, you're the ship's pilot. You make sure that you've always got the supplies you need when you're going on a flight or whatever. But, you know, so you could think of interesting narrative ways to tie that stuff in. And I thought th- that was an interesting twist on that. Yeah, that is. I mean, I, I like that idea, but I kind of like the more freeform interpretation of it, too. Yeah. And uh, th- that's why. So uh, the golden rule of fate is basically uh, decide what you're doing first and what that looks like, and then figure out how you want to use the rules to model it. So basically, they're saying, like, from the get-go, don't let the rules get in the way 
of having a fun time and telling a good story. If the rules seem to be contrary to what you're trying to do, then just forget about the rules. Do what you think is best and fun. And I think that's a really awesome uh, sort of philosophy for a game to have. Yeah, that's the golden rule of gaming, though. And I think to yeah, me, yeah. that's that's what drew me to RPG games. You know, I discovered RPG games a lot different than than some people. I didn't discover RPG games till my technically my freshman year of college. Like mm. I, I kind of knew that Dungeons and Dragons existed, but I was I grew up in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere where to this day, I don't think you can buy a gaming book within a half an hour of that town, probably an hour. And so it just wasn't a thing there. And then, you know, I, I get to college and actually the first thing I ever played was the old West End game, Star Wars. Oh yeah. That was my first two. <laughs> you know, and then that led to, we had a big Call of Cthulhu game on campus and then some Dark Sun and Rifts and on and on. But to me, the whole thing was, and, and this is back when, you know, I think Final Fantasy three was out for the Super Nintendo, mm. <laughs> you know, which look great game. But what you could do in Final Fantasy three versus what I could do in a tabletop game where the only limit was my imagination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No contest. And, and that to me is the beauty of tabletop RPGs is that you really are only limited by your imagination. And it sounds like fate really kind of takes that knob and, and really leans on it heavy. Oh yeah, definitely embraces that idea. It uh, is very good for imaginative players and GMs who really just want to, you know, be able to play what's in their head with as little interference from mechanics and rules as possible, pretty much. Yeah. So now let me ask you this though. You said you start the game with three fate points. And it is sort of a meta currency, but can you get them back in any way? Or do you yeah. have to like margin out your parse out your three per the whole session? Yeah, so you can get them back. And that actually leads into like the third way for players to use uh, fate points, which are called compels. So a compel is basically when someone else uses one of your aspects against you to like cause a problem for you. So uh, in, in the uh, Fate Core book, it talks about how a, a player has an aspect of uh, manners of a goat. And so then if you're like at a ballroom party or something like that, and you have manners of a goat, you know, the, the GM can be like, hey, you know, since you have manners of a goat, I would guess that you're going to be, you know, going to like really insult some people, right? Or like you're just going to be like totally out there in terms of uh, your decorum and stuff. And the player could be like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. So then what the... Um, the GM does is he gives that player a fate point to compel the aspect. And so there's going to be now a, like some sort of narrative complication where that player being rude, you know, comes into play and the character gets the uh, fate point in exchange for that. Okay. Yeah. So essentially you, you get the currency for playing the thing you wrote down about your character that is not positive. And the interesting thing with fate is that they encourage you to try to come up with aspects that can be double-sided because, mm -hmm. you, you know, it, it might not be intuitive, but, you know, even something like the manners of a goat that might be able to, uh, you know, come in handy. Like if you wanted to create a distraction for someone in order for them to be able to like steal the artifact that your party's after or something. So it takes some getting creative, but a lot of times, even if an aspect seems positive or negative on the surface, you can sort of twist that to have it be a drawback or, you know, a bonus for you. So, yeah, well, it sounds like they really are, are looking to push 
creative thinking, which is, again, what RPGs are for. Oh, yeah. So, so you've got this sort of metacurrency flow. And uh, basically part of being a good fate player and fate GM is keeping the points flowing back and forth Mm -hmm. because those will make for the best stories generally when you have people doing awesome stuff by, you know, invoking their aspects to do really cool things with their skills and aspects and stuff. And then, uh, you know, having the GM introduce more complications to the story so that, you know, it's sort of that uh, uh, yes and type of uh, philosophy there where, you know, you're, you're going to be doing all this stuff, but there, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be new complications that pop up along the way. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's, it's really intended to be a very kind of low prep improv heavy game. Uh, yeah, it certainly can be. Um, although I do know people who do try to plan some things out, but generally because it's supposed to be so collaborative in nature and encourage this creative thinking. And it's also supposed to be very like character focused by default. So, you know, every session should really ideally be driven by the actions and decisions made by the characters. So uh, it doesn't work as well if you're sort of planning everything out like you would like have a railroad where, you know, you're going to rescue the princess and defeat the demon lord and whatever like that. Like, Ideally, the players should have the freedom to be able to decide how their characters are going to approach these challenges that are put before them and, you know, whether or not, you know, they're going to, you know, do what's expected of them or not, or if they go in a completely different direction. Fate really gives a lot of freedom to shape the narrative that way. And so coming up with, you know, railroads to lead people in a certain direction kind of goes against that uh, philosophy. And so it's generally discouraged. And, and, you know, it's going to sort of it's going to get in the way of the other mechanics of playing fate if you try to do that, I guess. So it's not that you can't do it. It's just that the system's not going to work as well because it's going to sort of oppose you because there are so many uh, like player forward facing mechanics that allow them to shape the story. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like I know from my personal experience, that's when well, that's when you get the most buy in to go back to what we were talking about last week. You know, it, it's because. If you're feeding off what the players are doing, they're interested because they just told you that. Exactly. That's the thing with the aspects, too, by the way. You know, if someone writes down that they're like, you know, the member of a mystic laser sword wielding, you know, monk group, then you know that the character is interested in leaning into that. So you're going to want to bring up things having to do with that, whether it's, you know, someone you know, is trying to steal the laser sword or, you know, there's like some like evil person that has the same type of powers, you know, going up against them, you know, so just by creating your characters and making your aspects, you're sort of not only shaping the setting and the story, but you're also sort of giving like jump off points for the GM to use in sort of uh, shaping and directing the campaign. Yeah. What you were saying with the aspects, like, it's not like, look, we've all played D and D we all know what we mean when I say dump stat, but mm-hmm. in fate you get to pick your dump stat and you get to make it whatever you want it to be. It's not like, well, I have a eight or a six and I got to put it somewhere. Yeah. That lends itself to a more engaged mode of play. If that makes sense. I don't know. Oh yeah, for sure. Again. And I'm, I'm trying to remember if this is raw or not, but I know a lot of people who, when they're playing fate, You know, also uh, between sessions, for example, they'll allow you to like switch the values of two skills. Like you're like, oh, you know, my character didn't really work the way I thought it would. 
you know, when I had, you know, like stealth at plus one and uh, shoot at plus four. So I'm going to switch those around. I want them to be more stealthy and I don't really care if they can shoot really well. And like that is often like just totally okay. So there's a lot of freedom there too. If you sort of just want to try to tweak things to make your character the way you want it. Now, obviously, you know, you're switching the two things. So it's not like you're getting any extra bonuses for any particular skills. You're just sort of like changing the emphasis of the character that way. But uh, yeah, I think that's kind of neat. Now, that, that actually brings up a thought. Does Fate have any mechanism for character advancement? Oh, yeah. So they have uh, milestones in Fate and they sort of uh, break it up into like like minor milestones and major milestones. And so basically they give guidelines for what you can do with each thing. And it's like minor milestones, I think, can occur like after a given adventure. So like after you've completed that adventure, you can hit a minor milestone and, you know, you can like switch around like two stats, for example, like I was saying, or uh, right. So then uh, with minor milestones, uh, you can switch the rank values of any two skills or you can uh, replace one average, which is a plus one. So fate has like what's called the uh, the skill ladder, and so you can either represent a skill by their numerical bonus, like a plus one, or they actually have words that go along with it. So uh, you know, plus one is average, and uh, two is fair, three is good, four is great, and uh, zero is like mediocre. Minus one is I'm, I'm trying to remember if it's terrible or some other word like that, but you get the idea. That, yeah. So you can either talk about how, oh, you know, like I'm terrible at uh, driving or something like that, you know, and I'm great mm -hmm. with stealth, you know, or you can just be like, yeah, I've got the uh, plus one or plus three. But yeah, so so you can uh, change or replace one average skill with one that isn't on the sheet instead. So if you don't have a rank in a skill, I guess you could say it's assumed that it's zero. So it's neither a plus or a minus to whatever you're trying to do with it. You only get a certain number of skills to start out with that actually have bonuses. So then if you decide like, oh, I actually would have preferred to have this skill give me a bonus because I'm using it a lot more than I thought, then you could switch it out with one that you're not using as much. Mm -hmm. So then uh, you've got uh, significant milestones also, which is where you can sort of add points to your skills. And the interesting thing with uh, Fate, which I think Genesis borrowed from Fate for this, uh, is that they have the skill pyramid where you have to have basically more of a lower tier skill number in order to have or in order to advance another skill to the higher tier. I think I said that poorly. But but basically, you know, you're going to start out with many more like plus one skills than you will like plus four skills. And in, in order to be able to increase those, you need to sort of build up the lower tier skills first because you can't have more like plus three skills than he can plus two skills etc yeah something something akin to the lines of you've got to have two plus one skills to get a plus two skill you got to have two plus twos to get a plus three etc yeah and so that also helps to sort of i wouldn't say balance i don't think that that's the right word for it but it sort of like helps sort of have a smoother character advancement where you can't just put everything into one stat you kind of have to add things to other parts so that you're not just making yourself a one-trick pony. I was going to say, I think it sounds to me like it would lend toward making a more rounded character as opposed to a hyper-focused character. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's no reason why narratively you can't 
have that focus, just like mechanically, you're also going to have these other skills that you're good at. Whether or not you choose to use them a lot is sort of up to you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so, so I, but going back to what I was originally saying, yeah, so there are just like different levels of uh, milestones. You can eventually, you know, add aspects in potentially, or you can actually take additional points of what's called refresh, which refresh is the mechanical name for how many fate points you start out with. So by default, you have a refresh of three when you're starting out in a fate game by default. Mm -hmm. And then it, that can go up or down, depending on whether or not you want to use them to buy stunts or if you you know decide that you're not going to do that and you just want to keep increasing the amount you start out with. So I don't remember you covering this, but I've heard you say this stunts thing a couple times. I saw it in the book. What are stunts? Are those like feats in a D&D &D context? They're sort of like a feat or talent, I guess, in something like a D20 system. But basically, they allow you to do cool things. Or they allow your character to do cool things that may bend or break the rules of fate in certain instances. Like, for example, by default, I don't think you can use the stealth skill when you're attacking someone. But if you have, like, a backstab stunt... You could have it where, oh, you know, you can get a, uh, you know, a plus two to stabbing someone, you know, in the back when they're unaware of you and you would use your stealth skill to do it. So even if you had like a low like fight skill or whatever you want to call it in your game, you could then have a character that was more stealthy that could use that skill to their advantage to do damage. Okay. Which I shouldn't say damage, actually, because I'm um, talking about weird things about fate. There is no like HP so to speak. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that once we kind of got through the, the skills thing. Yeah, we're getting there slowly, aren't we? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> was there any, was there anything else regarding these uh, milestones or anything else like that? Or do we want to keep going? No, I think we just keep going. Yeah, okay. So yeah, so with fate, and this is one of the things I think is hardest for people to get used to because it's so different than almost any other RPG I can think of is that instead of HP, you have what are called stress and consequences. And my friend and former co-host for the Powered by Fate podcast, uh, Rob Hans, would, if he were here, he would say uh, stress is basically a pacing mechanism. When you're, when you're fighting or doing a combat in a, like a D20 system, you know, you're doing damage to someone's HP. And if they hit zero, then that means that, you know, they faint or they're out or whatever. In some systems, you're dead. But ultimately, all that's really saying is that this character, you know, can do a certain amount of stuff before the combat's over. You know, like characters with less HP are probably going to be able to accomplish less on average if, you know, they're really getting attacked than someone with a lot of HP. So it really is just uh, how do you pace out the combat? So stress is just a way of... Um, when you get hit by an attack, for example, or pretty much anything that could potentially cause your character to like stumble or whatever, you instead of taking the full brunt of that force. So like, let's say someone tries to attack you and they succeed with a margin of like plus three. Normally that would do like plus three. Again, I don't want to say damage. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the parlance is in fate, but uh, is it the physical stress or mental yeah, stress? Yeah. You can have fit both physical and mental stress, yeah. And those can actually be modified by certain skills by default. So I think it's um, physique gives you extra stress points or stress slots. And then willpower, I think, or will, 
is what gives you the extra mental stress slots. But so, yeah, instead of taking the full damage, you would you, you could say like, oh, I'm going to use up my two uh, stress skill slots. Sorry, I'm saying this wrong. You, you would. Uh, so, yeah, let's say you take you have a margin of two against you, like the enemy attacks. They beat your your defense roll by two. You might you would have a slot of two because it sort of goes like like a three, two, one. So like each box represents three, two, one. Uh, stress. So then you could cross off your two stress box in order to basically negate that damage. So nothing mechanically bad is happening to your character, even though narratively, you know, they might be getting the crap kicked out of them. And so that's what I mean when it's a pacing mechanism is that, you know, the fight can basically keep going until you run out of stress or you start taking consequences and you don't want to uh, get more hurt. And so um, when you can't block the amount of, I'm just going to say damage because it's easier to, for people to understand. But yeah, so like if you can't block the amount of damage fully that's being done to you, that instead would get taken up by a consequence. And you can have different levels of consequences that can negate certain amounts of damage. So I think a minor consequence can take care of like two and then like a moderate takes care of four and a major consequence could take care of six. And then they have what's called an extreme consequence, which often doesn't get used at all. But there could be some situations where it would. But often, like once once you get the high, you're like losing an arm or something like that, you know. But yeah, so a, a consequence will be like a little narrative thing. So you cross it off and then you put a narrative thing that says like what consequence happened as a result of this attack. So in the case of like a minor consequence, it might be like, oh, I stubbed my toe or something like that. Moderate could be like, oh, you know, they, you know, sliced me a bit with their knife. And then like a major thing could be like they uh, totally bashed in my skull or something like that. And now I've got a huge concussion and I'm bleeding and et cetera, et cetera. But basically, once you uh, run out of things to take consequences, of other stuff with, you're basically out of the fight or in some situations, if it makes sense narratively and the player and everyone is cool with it, you could die potentially. Sorry, I know that was a lot to process. No, 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 I, I'm listening. I, yeah, it just, it, 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 it's I, hard to explain, I think, especially like if you don't have the book in front of you and you've never played it before. I think it makes a lot more sense when you actually experience a game of fate and you see how all of these things play at the table. Yeah, well, uh, what I'm kind of hearing though is it's not a game about, and this is where we said it way back when we started, is. It's not a game about if you want the crunch of the numbers and everything. It almost sounds like fate is intended to be played. You fight until the fight is narratively over, until you have a narr- narratively satisfying end to the conflict. And then it it's done because we aren't going to worry about that. You ran out of hit points, so now we're done. No, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's much more intended as a narrative vehicle than any sort of simulation, which is... I think what war games came out of, which is where D and D and a lot of traditional, if you will, RPGs have their roots, even though some have advanced significantly. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, just to circle back real quick and I'll try to keep this brief, but so, so tying all of what I just said back into this idea that the stress and the other stuff are, uh, pacing mechanisms. Like, let's say your enemy has a grenade launcher now obviously like you know one explosion from a grenade launcher is generally enough to kill pretty much any normal person right 
So narratively, it makes sense that unless you're taking like a major consequence or dying or something, you're not going to be hit by those grenades when the enemy is shooting at you, right? You might have to like dodge out of the way or, you know, you might get knocked over from like the edge of the blast or something, but you're not necessarily going to like actually get caught up in the explosion. But you can still, in Fate, take stress because of the attack. Like because the enemy did, you know, like plus two or plus four more than you were able to defend, uh, you're going to like mark off that stress. And so you're closer to potentially like being out of the fight. But narratively, you know, you haven't actually taken any major damage, you know. So Mm -hmm. it, it kind of like mirrors what you see a lot in like cinema, right, where it's sort of like you can have like this long sword fight and, you know, people get tired and they can, like, get their jabs in. But the fight is never really over until you have, like, that final, like, you know, you, you force someone, you know, against the uh, pole. And you tell them that you're, fa- you're their father and chop off their arm, right? And then you drop <laughs> down and get sucked into the air filtration, you know. But so a- exactly, though, right? So the, the fight keeps going, even though, you know, in that situation, like, Luke Skywalker would be taking stress during the fight. He doesn't actually get any like major injuries until he loses his hand. And in fate, I could imagine that would be represented by, oh, okay, well, he used up all of his stress boxes in this fight, you know, blocking these attacks. And now he's not able to block this big one. And so now he's taking, you know, this like extreme consequence of, you know, chopped off arm. And obviously, you know, some some uh, consequences, it'll make sense that you can't really heal back to 100%. But for other things like a broken leg, you know, you can eventually work it down from like a major consequence to a moderate and to a minor. And um, those narrative descriptions for the consequences actually act as aspects on their own. So those can actually be used by enemies or the GM, you know, sort of like meta to create problems for you. Like, oh, you're trying to run away from these people, but you've got a broken leg. So obviously, you know, going to be a little bit of a setback for you. So you know, you're going to, you know, these other people are going to get a plus two when they invoke or when they compel that to their roles, trying to catch you, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. uh, in fate, yeah, in fate, you don't really um, ever subtract. For the most part, you always add. Instead of subtracting from your role, you would add to the opponent's role. It's a really cool idea, just because everything in fate, you can basically turn into an aspect and then so you can have the narrative and the mechanical uh, components to that. Yeah, you know, I've never played it. I don't think I've ever read a game, but this sounds interesting, even if it's only just for goofy one-shots. I mean, it seems like it's it's almost tailor-made for that. Do you have any experience playing like a longer campaign in Fate and how well that functions? Or uh, So I myself have never run a really long campaign with it. But I do know plenty of people who have. And I I think it's just all about what the group's trying to do. And as you know, as long as everyone's having fun and you've sort of got a narrative that you, you want to develop, you could basically keep it going as long as you wanted. I mean, fate like you you've sort of been saying yourself is all about, you know, coming up with like the narrative to the story. And so you basically have the final say over when the story's over. You know, so you can do it like you have you could have like season arcs almost and like keep it going that way. Or you can say like, okay, you've got like this one goal of we're going to go 
rescue the princess or whatever and defeat the demon lord. And then once you get to that point, then it's over and we're not, you know, the campaign's over. We'll, we can play something else or start a new campaign or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, like in the context that you've got, you know, if you get the fake core book, you bought one book, you can use it to play a zillion different things. Oh, yeah. And then um, I, I think I mentioned also, like, they've got a bunch of different toolkits and other things that are like supplements that you can uh, get. Like they have the horror one that I mentioned that sort of gives ideas for how to uh, tweak mechanics to make it uh, do horror better. Mm-hmm. So sort of ways of like weakening the characters or, you know, sort of bouncing things out to make it scarier for them. Mm-hmm. They've also got a space toolkit, which is like really great for like running sci-fi and things like that. So they talk about how to add in mechanics that help to reflect the sci-fi genre better. And uh, so that's one of the cool things I like about Fate, actually, is that um, they and and I'd say Cortex kind of does this, too, with their mods and things like that. But they come up with mechanics that reinforce the genre and the feel that you're trying to go for. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think with both Fate and Cortex, like you can play a Fate game in horror and you can play a fate game in sci-fi and they may feel completely different you know they may use a lot of the same mechanics but they've got you know differences that are specifically targeted towards you know us uh, emulating that genre almost i guess yeah well it, it almost sounds like maybe I, I don't know maybe i'm completely off base here but it sounds like cortex is almost a very very expanded version of fate with values placed on things outside of just one through four. And I, I don't know that that's a, a fair comparison, but you know what I'm saying? Like it almost sounds like cortex prime took fate and just went, let's blow it up. I think even uh, before cortex prime, there were a lot of mechanics with uh, the various cortex games that I think were probably inspired by fate. And I know that um, cam banks actually Cam Banks, who is the creator of the Cortex Prime system, a few years ago did, I'm trying to remember what it's called, but it was a game that was basically a combination almost of like Fate and Cortex, if that makes sense. So they were like elements from both of those sort of put into one. And so I think he in particular is very familiar with with both uh, Fate and Cortex. And I can definitely see some influence in Cortex from Fate and... Yeah, I can also see some things that are similar, you know, similar to things that happen in Cortex and Fate, too. But I think Fate basically came first. So it's probably more that direction where Fate influenced Cortex than the other way around. I wouldn't say that it's like an exact copy or even just like Fate Plus, because there are things that they do really different. And like and like, for example, uh, Cortex, you know, you can sort of uh, have uh, hit points if you want as a mod and stuff like that, which... I guess with fate you could also add in hit points, but you know it's really not as easy to do that. But um, point being, they are very similar in some ways and very different in others. But I think that they both try to go for that narrative, you know, trying to uh, emulate various types of narratives and genres, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. If that makes sense. No, and like I said, I, I know that came out weird the way I said it, but I meant it, you know, like complementary in both regards. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah, no. I mean, I don't think Cam Banks or uh, Fred Hicks, you know, who are both, uh, you know, like lead people for Cortex and Fate, respectively, would be insulted by the comparison to each other's systems at all. I think that they, they, both, they both have 
similar goals, I think. Let's be honest. There's only so many original ideas in the world. You know, it's the, yeah. the whole principle behind science and technology is you take this thing that someone else did and build on it. And game design's no different. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, uh, I'm trying to think then. I, I've covered a lot of stuff about fate. Was were, was there anything left unclear so far? Or was there anything else you wanted to know? No, I mean, I think that's... And I mean, look, if if you're out there listening and going, well, what can you play in fate? Look, go to Drive Through RPG, and the box on the left side of the window, there's this little box that says rule system. Go down to fate, and there's literally hundreds of products yeah and i should actually mention that uh evil hat which is the company behind fate actually makes a bunch of pay what you want like settings or Mm -hmm. like not even settings they're almost like mini games for fate which the general goal is to tweak certain rules or add in certain like mini systems to uh supplement fate and so you get these really cool fate games that all function differently from each other. But they've got ones like one's called uh, Secrets of Cats. And you play as like a cat that is protecting your uh, neighborhood from like supernatural evil. OK, that's where that Cats of Gravity Falls came from then. OK, that, that might they may have been using Secrets of Cats. Yeah. And uh, they have one called Ghost Planet, where it's like you're playing sort of like astronauts that are investigating various planets around the galaxy and like basically the premise is that like humans have started discovering like ruins of ancient alien civilizations but they've never met live aliens and it seems like every alien civilization they find was destroyed in some sort of disaster and it looks like they may all have been connected in some way so like you're going and exploring and trying to figure out like why aren't there any other intelligent beings of the galaxy and uh, you're running into, like, robot assassins left behind by these civilizations or sort of, like, falling into traps of, or things like that. Or the alien civilization was gone, but, you know, these, like, animal monster things that live there have continued to survive. So uh, just, like, cool stuff like that. So there's just a lot of different things. They have one that's, like, three musketeers but with jetpacks. Um <laughs> They have one where it's like King Arthur, but with mechas. I don't know. They just do a lot of cool, crazy things. They have one where it's called a Uranium Chef, and it's literally like a cooking show game, like a really bizarre, wacky cooking show game. I actually just saw that a few minutes ago. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, so, that, that, that got added to the wish list. <laughs> yeah. Man, I, I could just keep keep listing off things. They have like Wild West with zombies. I forget what that one's called. People are probably going to be screaming if they're familiar with Fate. Like, you should know the name of this game. You know, but... Uh, I just scrolled down to the bottom of the page on DriveThru with the, the search parameters set to the Fate rule set. They're showing 950 items. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stuff being done and that has been done with the Fate system. Yeah, and I'm sure if, if you went on, you know, like Itch, there's probably even more that aren't on on drive through and Lord knows how many are just out there floating around, be it Reddit or, or wherever. Yeah. I mean, because it's so easy to just create your own world and setting. Right. And then it's also pretty easy to add in your own mods or hacks. People can use it fairly easily to do sort of like a, I wouldn't say like, 
rules light game, but like there's very like minimal stuff that you would have to include in order to allow other people to play in your setting or like with your house rules. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would I would say I would probably characterize Fate as like a rules medium game, but again, like we talked about early in the episode, it's not really like number crunch. It's it's just more of the you know the various mechanics that they use to enhance the narrative that you have to sort of wrap your head around. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. So, um, anything more you want to say on Fate? Oh man, I I just I love Fate. You know, I, I love a lot of games, but you know, Fate definitely has a special place in my heart because when I started looking into role-playing games beyond like West End games, Star Wars or Dungeons and Dragons. I realized that I wanted something that was more story focused because that's just sort of the types of games I prefer to play are the ones focused on story. And I just had run into fate as like one of the major contenders for that genre or game type. And so I had, you know, gotten the pay what you want version and read through it. And I said, wow, this could like literally do anything I wanted. And, you know, it's so open to just using your creativity and imagination to make things happen that it's right up my alley. So I, I guess what I, I would say is um, I encourage anyone who really enjoys, you know, narratives and stories and cares more about that than keeping track of, you know, how many of whatever item you have or having to know, like, how many hit points you lost in the last battle or whatever. Try, give it a try. You, you may find that it's uh, right up your alley, too, and exactly what you're looking for. And check out Cortex. I have to say that because, you know, that's my current role-playing game, and I don't want to pretend like I don't love Cortex also. Oh, you know what? I, I said this when Kirby was on. Cortex, I think, is a game that is worth picking up to read, even if all you're going to do for, from it is borrow things because it feels like it's got a lot of really great ideas that even if you aren't going to use Cortex as Cortex, you can take a lot from it to make your other games better, or you could just play it as it is. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the fact that it's so modular means that you could always take pieces that you like and incorporate it into another system or your own game, homebrew or whatever, um, without too much difficulty, I'd say. Yeah, exactly. So, uh... I think with that, do we want to do Game of the Week? Sure, we can do Game of the Week. Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Is it okay if my game has nothing to do with anything we just talked about? Absolutely. Okay. I don't know if it's uh, ever been mentioned on your show, because I ha- didn't look at a list or anything, but uh, has anyone brought up Simbaroom before? No, we have not. have brought okay. up stuff from, from Free League, but not Simbaroom. Okay, yeah. So, um, which version are you talking about? So, I'm talking about like the original version, non five E uh, Simbaroom <laughs> game, which was originally published by a Swedish co- company called uh, Yarnringen, but they got bought up by Free League, and so now it's a Free League title. And mm-hmm. the people who work for that smaller company are now working for Free League, so it's not yes. A happy, ha- happy ending to that story. You know, sometimes the companies go under, and then everyone's unemployed. But this worked out. But I digress. So um, Simbaroom is a dark fantasy game, and one of the best ways to pitch it, I think, is sort of like Princess Mononoke meets Game of Thrones. Okay. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with both or either of those titles, but... um, Not so much, although I am mildly familiar with Simbaroom. Okay, fair enough. So, (laughs) uh, So the premise of Simbaroom 
is that there are these humans from a land to the south that just fought in this war against necromancers, and their land has basically died. So they migrate north into this other land and start like t trying to resettle there. And in this new land to the north, uh, there's this huge, gigantic forest that uh, basically, if you look at a map of it, covers like at least three quarters or seven eighths of the uh, of the region. And so this huge forest is uh, is called uh, Davokar. Mm -hmm. And apparently, what the lore says happened is that there used to be this really powerful, almost like ancient Rome analog, and they they uh, had all this like powerful magic, and suddenly. They just sort of seem to their empire collapsed and in its place, like almost overnight, grew up this huge forest. And this forest has like this sort of uh, corruption about it that comes from all this crazy magic that they used to do. And so um, basically people sort of go into the forest at their own risk, but there are all sorts of ancient treasures and things there. But you can risk basically getting corrupted and then you can like turn into like a monster or whatever. You've got uh, a bunch of different factions, which is where the Game of Thrones stuff comes in, right? So you've got like elves who sort of like protect the forest and uh, try to keep people out of it. Uh, you've got dwarves that sort of keep to themselves in the mountains. You've got these humans that they call barbarians, which they sort of just like live in tribal villages and they're afraid of the forest and, you know, they have these like taboos against it. And uh, there's a whole sort of theme of uh, imperialism and other stuff going in because like this new group of people is sort of like starting to displace these original natives to the land. And so it just gets really interesting with the uh, the political and social nature of it. And of course, you're doing the traditional like go adventuring into the dangerous place to get the treasure thing, too. Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard I've heard a decent amount about this uh, through yeah. another podcast I listened to. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, aren't all the roles completely player-facing as well? Yes, yes. That's one of the big things that I really enjoyed about it was that um, sometimes, especially like when I'm GMing, I don't want to have to worry about doing a bunch of roles and keeping track of this NPC role, this or that. So everything in Simbaroom is all player-facing roles. So they're both rolling to attack and to dodge instead of you rolling to attack them. Everything is done with uh, D20, basically, and your attributes act as modifiers to that D20, and you're basically doing a roll under. So, like, if you have a stat of 10 for one of your stats, then you're going to try to roll a 10 or under to, in order to succeed when that stat comes into play. And so it's just very simple, very quick. Everything, everything is, like, really streamlined, so, like... In earlier versions of Dungeons and Dragons, like I'm, I'm thinking specifically maybe like like three, three point five, and four two, I guess like encounters could take a while with Simbaroom because everything's so player facing, and it's like the enemies like have set damage that they do if they strike a hit and stuff like that. Everything just goes really quickly, and it's almost all narrative on the GM's part. So it's it's really great for the GM who doesn't want to have to prep a whole lot because you can just focus on telling the story instead of having to worry about doing roles and other stuff. Yeah. And I believe, don't they have a, a big like mega campaign that they're releasing or maybe they finally got it all out now? No, they haven't finished it. It's it. There is a big mega campaign though. It's called the uh, throne of thorns campaign. And so they actually have like a quick start that 
sort of sets the stage for it too. So even like from the very beginning, you've got this like free quick start that sort of acts like a prequel. And they've got this whole huge mega campaign where they've come out with like chapters. And these are like basically like source book long chapters and adventures. And so each new chapter focuses on a different part of the setting in Simbaroom. Okay. So they're, they're kind of doing the, the source book slash adventure module in one. Yeah, and it and it works out pretty well, I think. So, like, you get to also use the information. Like, you could buy this campaign and never play it. You could just buy it because, you know, one of them will talk about um, Thistlehold, which is, like, the village right outside of the forest of Davakar that most people pass through before going into the forest. And then another one talks about, um, you know, like, this barbarian camp, you know, that's, like, right inside the forest. And then another one talks about the capital city of these humans that came from the south and like resettled and so you get to learn about that too and it's like this big city so just all these different elements playing together no that that's a game i i'm not a big fantasy person in general but simrum has been one that i'm kind of keep looking at and going oh i want to i want to it's just a really cool setting and i just have a lot of fun with the mechanics too just because it's so straightforward and quick mm-hmm. so Hey, maybe I'll run it for you one of these days. Who knows? Ooh. Just adding to the list, you know, we've got, let's see now, we've got Cortex, Fate, Simbaroom. <laughs> the, yeah. the list of games I want to play slash run is extremely long. <laughs> Fair. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that was my uh, game of the week, I guess. Okay. Well, I was going to go in the spirit of things just because, well, it's, I don't know. I'm one of the hosts. I can do what I want, right? I found a fake game that I think just looks like it could be fun. I found Mecha versus Kaiju. Oh, yeah. I know about that one. <laughs> I mean, like, let's be honest. Especially if you're playing it narratively, what's more fun than great big giant monsters and really big robots? Yeah, it, yeah, definitely, I mean, uh, it definitely scratches an itch, I think. <laughs> what more do you need to say? Yeah. And what I found out too, though, the main volume, the PDF's ten bucks, right? So, it, I mean, it's not bad. But there's a whole ton of like two and three dollar kind of like sub supplements or whatever for it that the same people have put out, and it just looks like like it just looks like it could be an incredibly fun thing to do for you know two or three sessions or even longer if you really wanted to, or like you said, do it kind of a season thing where. You do these characters for a while, and then maybe you pick it up, you know, a little bit later, and you're still playing in the same world, but different characters or any number of things. But you know, I mean, the 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 pitch for the game is born in nuclear fire. The kaiju stride across the face of the world, unstoppable. Only one power can hope to match these giant monsters: the Mecha Assault Force. And so you become a pilot of these these Mecha, and and you build. And of course, it's got a heavy anime influence, and and so yeah, on and so sure. forth. But yeah, it just, I mean, I'm sorry. The title says it all. What more do you need to know? <laughs> yeah, Mecha versus Kaiju. Yeah, and um, it's also, you know, you don't need a huge budget for the uh, Michael Bay explosions either because it's all in your imagination. So there you go. <sighs> exactly, exactly. So I wish I could be more wordy about this, but I don't think I need to. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I was wordy enough with Simbaroom for the both of us, so it's all good. Alrighty. So uh, I guess that point, you know, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to come on and talk with us. And, you know, I know Steve wishes he could have been here tonight, but you know, the internet God decreed otherwise. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. He couldn't join us either. 
but uh, where can people find, you know, be it Prime by Cortex? And I know you do some writing for the D20 blog as well. Yeah, I actually, uh, I've sort of stepped down from that for now, actually, since uh, I've been a bit busy and I just haven't been able to really keep up with it and do do it justice. But yeah, I've got a bunch of uh, articles on there that people can go and read. So yeah, on uh, d20radio.com, if you just go down to uh, authors, or, you know, my name's on there. You can check out stuff that I write. I just write about a whole lot of different RPG stuff. I don't really have a particular shtick, just kind of like whatever popped into my mind is what I wrote. In terms of like other social media stuff, um, I do, I am, I'm, I'm on Facebook all the time, pretty much. Um, I am the community manager for the D20 radio in its various social media forums. So I'm sort of uh, moderating the Facebook group. I basically run the Discord group for D20 radio, um, which you can find a link to that in the D20 radio w- website and Facebook group as well. Um, I, I actually made a little group that a lot of people don't know about, but it's actually called Looking for Gamers, which is a D20 radio associated group. And I had originally made it with the intention of allowing people on Facebook to plan online games with other people in the D20 radio network. But of course, since other things have come out now, like Discord and other stuff like that, people haven't been really using it as much, but that's that's there if people want it. I have a Twitter account at jtdimino. And that's it. You know, so just my name. Uh, I, I don't really use it a lot, but if you were to tweet at me or something, I'd get a notification and I'll respond. But uh, for Primed by Cortex, which is sort of uh, the bigger social media thing, and we're a bit more active with that. For Primed by Cortex, uh, we have an email, which is uh, pbcpodcast at d20radio.com. We've got Primed by Cortex uh, Facebook group. We have our own channel in the D20 radio. We haven't made our own discord because uh, we haven't really felt the need to do that with our fan base yet but that's there and um, also kirby and i like to hang out on the official cortex discord which you can find a link to at uh, cortexrpg.com and you know people like that are on the staff and the creative teams are there like cam banks himself frequents there and you can ask him questions or you know see what he's up to but yeah i mean I- i'm around Especially if you look up anything D20 radio related, you'll probably find me. (laughs) So if you want to get a hold of me, you'll be able to find me. Yes. JT is everywhere. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Now we'll we'll put all those links down in the show notes and and so on and so forth for the episode. I think with that, you know, if you want to get a hold of us here at me and Steve, uh, I don't remember the email address, but I know it's in the show notes Uh, on Twitter. It's at and RPGs. Facebook, I believe it's me and Steve RPG podcast. But again, I know it's linked in the show notes. We do have our own Discord server. In addition to a channel on the D20 Discord server JT was talking about, you can find me there a lot. The other Steve, he's around. He doesn't post as much as I do, but that's because I'm a bad person and get on Discord all the time while I'm supposed to be working. (laughs) My lips are sealed. (laughs) Yes, I won't tell anyone on the internet if you don't. All right. Well, I think with that, then it's time to remind you to be kind to each other. And go play some RPGs. Thanks for having me. Have a good week. Thank you. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other.
How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. 